You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, The God of Good. If something is contrary to the wisdom and the Word of God, it will ultimately be detrimental and bring sorrow to your life. Here is part three, Breaking Good, of The God of Good. So today in our society uh, and in our church, we're not, we're not immune to this, we assume, and I wonder if you would agree with me, we assume that if something seems good, right, if something appears to be good, then it must be from who? God. We assume that if something appears good, then it must be good, and if it is good, it's, it's from God. In other words, we have almost made good and God synonymous with one another. Does that make sense? Is, is that making sense there? Yeah. We've made good and God synonymous almost because after all, we are all born with, with this understanding, this inherent understanding of right and wrong, correct? I mean, I mean, can't each one of us look at a thing and judge it for what it is, good or bad? I don't know. I don't know if it's that easy. Here's my question. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to do so. We're a church that worships in, in spirit and in truth. We want to learn and take what we've learned and, and dive into it even deeper in our sea life groups because Sunday is just the start for us as a church. Here's a question I have for you. If good is so obvious, why is it so elusive? <laughs> Maybe another way to say it is this. If good is so obvious, then how come it turns out a lot, how come it turns out that a lot of things we thought were good end up being evil? Scripture says this, like in Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us that we need discernment to help figure out the difference between good and evil. If good were so obvious, why would Scripture tell us we need discernment to see the difference between good and evil? If good is so obvious, why does God come to King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3? And he says to him, hey, I'll give you anything that you ask for. What do you want? If good were obvious, why did King Solomon say, I would like to have understanding so that I can discern between good and evil? If good is so obvious, if it were so obvious, why does Proverbs 14, 12 tell us that there is a way that seems good to a man, but in the end it leads to death? Maybe, just maybe, good is not so obvious after all. And maybe this is the case when it comes to evil. Now we've been spending the last uh, good portion of this month walking through the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter nine, where Paul has been wrestling with the fact, he says, starting off just in the first few verses, he says, I am, I'm, I'm in anguish. I'm in literal pain and deep, deep sorrow. Why? Well, because the people that he grew up with, his friends, his family, his people, the Jews, he says that they have missed Jesus. They've, they've, they've been following the law. They've been going after righteousness. They've been all, doing all the good things and all the right things. But because they settled for following the good of the law, they missed out on the greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, we read something like that. We hear something like that. And we're like, yeah, well, they missed Jesus. You know, well, like, you don't. But I want you to keep this in mind. The Jews... <laughs> especially Jewish men and women that we read about in the Old Testament, even up till Jesus' day, were, were very spiritual people. And by, by that I mean they were deeply religious. They, they had very strong uh, values. They, they were serious about their faith. In fact, they were looking for the coming Messiah. That was a commonly phrase, that was a common phrase in Jewish tradition, watching for the Messiah. So get this. 
They're attending temple. They're serving. They're, they're tithing. Um, records show that, that people, that Jewish uh, men and women at that time and point, they tithed somewhere between 30 and 35% of their overall income to their temple, which is, by the way, something we're instituting today, just so you know. You can drop that off at the door on the way out. I'll go to lunch on that. And... Um, no, no, they were serving, they were tithing, they were doing good things, they were encouraging each other. Like their children went to school where they memorized entire portions of the Bible. <laughs> and they, they still missed Jesus. They still missed Jesus. As Paul says, as Romans 9 says, they, they, they tripped over the stumbling stone. They tripped over Jesus Christ. Man, I just have a question if they missed Jesus, if they were, and maybe here's a better word, if they were deceived in that manner, is it possible that you and I could be deceived today? I mean, is that, is that possible? Well, no, man, I, I check out the podcast when I'm not at church. I can't be deceived. Like, these people were serious about their faith. They structured an entire country around their faith. I don't think I'm getting to it. Let me take it a little bit further. Genesis 1 uh, talks about the creation of the world. It says that God, in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. And, and it goes on in the story to talk about this God, this supreme, incredible, omnipotent, omniscient, huge God. He reaches down. He picks up a handful of dirt, which by the way, dirt he created. And he breathes his breath into it and creates man. And he creates woman and he places this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden in this beautiful paradise called Eden. There's no death, there's no suffering, nothing like that. And they walk with him daily. Can you imagine? I know we have this propensity to read scripture sometimes uh, like, like far away from us, very, very much removed from us. But think about it. Walking and talking with God daily through paradise. God says you can eat like anything, guys. Pretty much everything. There's just one thing I don't want you to eat, Genesis says, that God mentions. He says there's a tree in the center, the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree. I don't want you to eat of that. We've got to set up some boundaries here. But everything else, eat of all the rest of the food. Eat of all the rest of the trees, all the rest of the fruit. And what happened? What did they do? They went and they ate of this fruit. Now, my point is this. Don't you think if Eve and Adam who walked and talked with the physical God, conversed with him in a world where there was not suffering or pain, if they could be deceived, how much more could we be deceived today in a fallen world? How much more could we be deceived in a place where there is suffering, where there is hurt, as we talked about just a few weeks ago, last week, where there is suffering to a great extent, a lot of, a lot of questions See, one of the things I think we have to understand that maybe we too often forget is that Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it tells us that we have an enemy. Have we forgotten that we have an enemy? Maybe we think that this enemy is not a worthy adversary. But Scripture tells us that he is like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking, wandering around, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. Now here's the thing. You accept Christ, and you think now that you've come to Christ, this enemy isn't an enemy anymore. No, 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 no. Guess what? You have power over the enemy, and that's, why we, that's where we as a church say something like, yes, we do, or amen, or if you feel so inclined, you just stand up and point right at me because it's such a good point. Now we come to Jesus Christ, 
We still have an enemy. Now, we may have power over that enemy. Okay, we'll get there. But he's still an enemy. He's still a lion. He may be a lion on a leash, but he's still a lion. And the job, the role, the, the, the purpose behind this enemy is to, to get you to destruct, to deceive you, to hurt you, to break you, to embarrass you. Really, it's to provide separation between you and God. And one of the ways that he does this best is by attempting to break God's goodness with seemingly good things. If you're taking notes, write that down. The enemy wants to seemingly, he wants to break God's goodness with seemingly good things. Now let me push this a little bit farther. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, and then Revelation backs up what he says as well. He, he talks about when he will return, right, one day. And scripture talks in Revelation about these last days, the end days. Some people think that we're in the last days. I, I couldn't really tell you. But it's interesting because Jesus and Revelation both reference this great deception that will take place across the world. And in Revelation and Jesus in Matthew 24, they said it's a deception so great that it would even deceive the elected, if possible. It would deceive Christians who believe that Jesus is the Christ. If it were possible for them to be deceived, it's a deception so strong that even they would be deceived. What I'm trying to say is this. What's going to deceive people is not blatant evil, What's going to deceive evil, what's going to deceive people is evil that seems blatantly good. Let me just say it one more time. What deceives people is not necessarily blatantly evil. It's evil that looks blatantly good. Like if I were to come to you and say like, hey man, you want to hang out with us tonight? Yeah, maybe. What are you doing? Uh, we're going to go murder. We're going to do some murders tonight and uh, we're going to... Maybe sacrifice some cats. I don't know, right? Just what, however the night goes, right? You know what I'm talking about? You'd be like, you're an evil person, except for the cat part. I get that. But for the rest of it, like, no way are you hanging out with me. No way are we just driving around. Like, no, why? Because that's blatantly evil. And so what I'm trying to say is that what I believe this deception is, what, what I believe that Satan is trying to deceive us, even as believers, with is are things that that don't look blatantly evil murder drugs abuse rape what's going to deceive people is is evil that seems blatantly good and this is how satan attacks us this is how satan attempts to break god's goodness and he's got a pattern and i want you to write these down number one here's the first attempt we're going to pull these from the book of genesis starting in chapter three the first attempt that Satan has to try to break God's goodness is, his, is, is he does this. He tries to get your focus away from God's good and generous provision. Notice what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice what he says. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Notice what Satan said. And how he says it. He says, Did God actually say? Like, what's up with that? 
Did God actually say you couldn't eat that? See, what he's trying to do here, attempt number one, always, he's trying to take her attention away from all of good, God's good and generous provision and have her focus on the one thing that she doesn't have. Have her focus on the one thing that she can't have. And this is the first attempt to decept. It's the first portion of the strategy to get your focus away from God's good and generous provision. See, the enemy knows that if he can get you to start focusing on what you don't have, if the enemy knows this is if he can get you to start focusing on the things that, that aren't for you, even if they're seemingly good things, then he's got you. Because, and listen now, when we focus on good things instead of God's things, they become bad things. When we focus on on, on these things, when we focus on good things instead of God's things, good things become bad fit things. It's a good thing to want to succeed at life. It's a bad thing to lose your family because of it. it it's a good thing to want to chase after your dreams. It's a bad thing to have somebody else raise your children. Good things. They're not God's things. The bad things. Look at what the enemy says next. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Attempt number two. Attempt number two. Attempt number two is this. He tries to negate God's word. The second portion of the strategy that our enemy Satan always works from is that he tries to, to negate God's word. He looks at her and he says, you can't eat that tree. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. Now, how often does something like this happen to us today? Young man, young woman, meet at church, fall in love. You know that church love. You know how that goes, right? Holding hands on the way to church camp, quoting Bible verses to each other. You know, just normal church kid stuff. Right? And they want to get married, but they can't. Right? They're both graduating high school, but they want to get married, but it's just it's so far off. And then one day the, the young man says to the woman, like, you pay rent, I pay rent. You know, like, you pay for direct TV, I pay, pay for you know, for cable. You got the utilities bill for your place. I got mine. Let's combine our resources here. Let's move in. Let's be together that way. And then, then you might even phrase it, and, and, and it seems like a good thing. Like, we can save for our future. We can build from this base together. We could even tithe and, and give more to our church. But let me ask you, what has he done? What have they done? He's negated Ephesians chapter 5 that says that there should be no sexual immorality among you. He's negated 1 Thessalonians 5, which says that, that we're supposed to appoint, uh, avoid the very appearance of evil. He's negated Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, which says the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Now, let me ask you, what has he done? He's negated God's word for something that seems personally beneficial. He's negated God's word for what society has deemed accessible, uh, acceptable and common behavior. And that is always Satan's ploy. Number three. And the enemy goes to attempt number three, and he starts to get pretty hard here. Genesis chapter three, verse five, look at this. He says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's got Eve's attention off of all God's goodness. He's got her focusing on the things that she doesn't have, the things she can't have. And then he says this, you know what, Eve? God knows something that you don't know, 
and he's keeping it from you. Now, understand this tree is not bad. This tree is good. And so when she's looking into it, she's seeing good things. And so she starts to think, yeah, there's good things in that tree. And God's not giving that to me. There's good things in that tree that could be beneficial for me and my husband. And God's going to withhold that from me? God is a taker. He's not a giver. God is a, God is a withholding supreme being. What kind of God does that? That's not fair. That's not good. God is holding out on me. What I want you to know is that often our own thinking, think about this now, often our own thinking about what is good can keep us from experiencing God. And this is the step of disconnect. This is the step that truly, I would say, kills it for Eve. This is, this is really what hurts her very strong. This is what gets her to, to turn on God in that moment. See, the enemy, the enemy twists the character of God in an attempt to break his goodness. You gotta hear me on that. The enemy is always trying to twist the very character of God in an attempt to seemingly break his goodness in your life. And you might say, well, okay, what does that look like? How does that play out? I'll, I'll tell you. Your daughter is sick. Goes to the hospital. And you pray for her. You and your wife, you pray. Your family, your, your in-laws come in town. You're praying your church. We talk about it. We pray. We talk about it in sea life. And yet, no matter what we do, your child passes. Heartbreaking. And yet there's another family who's, whose child is sick. And people pray for them and they're healed. God is a giver and not a taker. You hear that voice? What about this? You've got a larger family or, or you've got some bills that need paid. And, and so you, you work, Dad. You work hard, man. You work hard for that money. You go out and you work your job. You work a second job. You're trying to do things and build things and make things and play the lottery. You're doing anything and everything that you can do just to get some money. Uh, but in the meantime, man, you're here every Sunday. You're in a sea life group throughout the week. You tithe. You give. You serve. You take notes. You take your pastor to lunch sometimes. I'm just saying like you... You are a great person, okay? Let me just say that. No, no, you, you're going for it. And then you look over here and you see some people that, man, they just show up every once in a while. They don't really do anything. They're here and then they leave. They don't interact. But, man, it's just like the heavens are open for them. God, for real? There's some good that you're withholding from me. And you could easily give that to me and you don't. Let me ask you, where does that come from? It comes from your enemy who is trying to twist the very nature and character of God. He's trying to change the way that you see him. Many of us, we have bought into a twisted understanding of God's character. And then finally, he says this. Attempt number four. And this is really the kill shot. Look at this. It says this in verse five. For God knows... Satan says that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Attempt number four is simple. It's simple and it's succinct. The enemy offers, he steps right in and offers her the good that God is withholding. Focus on something else. He's no good. 
He's withholding it all. He could give it to you, but he's not going to because he really doesn't care anyway. Here's the real good. It's a deception. And it's a deception that, that many of us fall to. It's a deception that even many believers have fallen prey to. We get hurt, we get scared, we get angry, and we fall for it. What are we to do? Listen to this passage from James. James says it this way. James says in chapter one, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Let me hear you say, every gift, every good gift is from above. It comes from God. Every good gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, it sounds like a command, but it's not. It's a promise. I'm excited about the promises of God. I'm excited about the promises of God, especially when it says that he will give us good gifts. And that's a promise. It doesn't say that we will always have good gifts. It doesn't promise that everything will always be easy. But it does say that God is a God who gives good gifts. Now, James is saying, if you can get this understanding, then you will be deceived proof. How many of us, just show of hands, want to be deceived? Anybody? Anybody? No, no. Like, yeah, I, I love to be made a fool of. I, I wake up thinking, how can I look like an idiot today? I, I, really, I really like, no. None of us want to be deceived. We want to be deceived proof. And this, so this is what, this is what James, is, James is saying. So what's the, perfect, what's the truth here? Listen, don't miss this. Here's the truth. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow Due to, change, uh, due to change, what is James saying? He's saying if you get this truth in you, you'll be deceived proof. So I'm gonna simplify what he said. Are you ready? It's a hard truth, okay? It's a hard truth with harder implications. So here we go, here it is. James is saying this. There is no good for you outside of God. There is no good for you outside of God. Of God. Well, that wasn't that hard. Okay. Let's, let's talk about Let's open that. Let's unpack what that means. I don't care how good it looks or how beneficial it seems or how profitable it appears or how acceptable it is in society, how sweet she talks to you and how rude your wife has been. If it is contrary to the written word of God, it will ultimately listen to me. It will bring you to a destination that you do not want to find yourself. There is nothing good for you outside of God. I love you. But that is a truth that is slowly being eroded in our society today. So what do we do? What's our answer? Well, we got to get a reference point. Part of the problem is that we don't really have a good reference point, most of us. What's our reference point for truth? What's our reference point for morality? What's our reference point for, for what we should do with our wife or how, how we should deal with our boyfriend or what we should, well, how do I become this? Man, you got to get a reference point. What is it? Media, culture, society, Kardashians? I don't know. Probably not the latter. 2 Timothy 3 says this, one of my favorite passages. Because I love, 
I love the picture that it paints. In fact, would you just close your eyes as I read this to you? I want you to think about this, the picture. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Let's do that again. All scripture is breathed out by God. Just look at me, look at me. That beautiful. We have the very breath of God running through our veins. And we have the very words of God breathed into Scripture. And it says that this word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Number one, Scripture must be our only reference point. You want an absolute? Scripture must be our reference point. Without God's word, we would, not, we would be no different than Adam and Eve. And it is easy to sit here and throw rocks at Adam and Eve. Oh, look at them. Pfft, saw that coming. Talking snake. Seriously? Let me just tell you, if you were Adam, if you were Eve, you would have probably done the exact same thing. I love that you talk smack about them, but you can't even get in the word once a week. Scripture must be a reference point. Number two, we need to receive correction. This is always our favorite one, especially for my children. Dad, they wake up every day. I don't know how your kids work. I got five of them. All five of them, every morning after they make me breakfast, they walk over to me. Father, Father, could we receive correction now? That's what they say. <laughs> sure, children, line up. I'll take care of you each individually. No. Scripture says that it is profitable for correction. Well, what does that mean? It means that it is the standard by which we judge our lives. And, and, and whether or not we like it, we need to obey it. It is a correcting agent. The Bible says that a person who is able to receive correction is wise. It also says that a person who doesn't receive correction is a fool. God has given his word as a reference point so that we can discern the difference between what is good and what is God. Now notice I didn't say what is good and what is bad. What is good and what is God. Because remember I told you there is nothing good outside of God. So even if society says, this is good, even if your teacher says, this is okay, this is good, even if people are like, this is great. Listen, if it's outside of God and his written word, we have to use God's word carefully so that we don't drift away from God. And lastly is this, lastly, we need calibrated. We need, we need scripture as our reference point. We need it to receive correction. And lastly, we need to be calibrated. When we intentionally plug into God's word, we will be calibrated each day to know what is God and not just what is good. And without scripture as a reference point, there is no way of knowing. Truly, there would be no way of knowing. And not only that, but we would then have the ability to be a light to the people around us. To have a light, which scripture says is a light to our path. Know what God is, is pressing into us. What he's trying to pull out of us. 
We study God's word so that we will not be deceived. And I know that there are many things that you could do as a Christian. I know there are many things that you could volunteer for. I know that there are many uh, things that you could attend. I know that there are many uh, things that you could go and be a part of. But I'm telling you, if you are not actively spending time in God's word daily, then you are missing the point. God has breathed his words into scripture so that we could know him more. I would encourage you. This is just a practical application that I'm going to kind of, <coughs> excuse me, push into our Sea Life groups. I want you to engage in this question, okay? So write this question down. Sea Life leaders, write this down. I want you to engage this question. Here's the question. How can we begin to develop a sacred space in our life? I, I heard the other day somebody talking about a chair in their house. The only time they sit in this chair is when they read scripture. Ain't nobody sitting in that chair but them get out my chair that's our sacred space maybe for you it's your walk in the morning that's your sacred space talking and conversing with God listening to scripture maybe for you it's a ride to work maybe for you it's the couch maybe for you it's sitting up in your bed maybe it's the kitchen I don't care what it is but how can we begin to develop a daily sacred space revolving around God's word it's only after we do this habitually it's only after we do this in rhythm that we can actually begin to discern what is good and what is God what is evil what is God what is wicked what is God Our enemy wants to break the goodness of God, and he cannot. Yes, he's a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. The only way to enforce that leash is with God's word. Thanks for listening to this message from our series, The God of Good. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.